previously on the Enneagram journey. Not everyone is able to hold the kind of kaleidoscope, that complexity of all the different things that are going on within me. So I typically choose one or two and I offer it to the individual. And I always used to wrestle with that, you know, in my more formative years, because fours want to be authentic. So before that, it was like, you know, emotional vomit, you know, like this is all that's happening in my life and da, 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 and this is me being authentic with you. But it, it's always been quote unquote, like too much for people. And if I were to move faster, that would be bad for my congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I could bring my congregation along that fast. And I didn't want to have to live a divided life. And I think that is a very poor thing to say. And another four dimension of it is because I was writing books and I would go out and speak and people would take me out to lunch and pour out their heart. And I, that empathetic dimension of being a four, I couldn't forget about their pain and I couldn't forget about their problem. And that's what made me feel I needed to move faster. Bailey just had a birthday and I asked him what he wanted. And he said, a whole cake all to himself. He did not want to share. So of course I got him the cake. And so do you know what he did as soon as he got that cake? What? Face plant. <laughs> Just planted his face smack in the middle of the cake. And we laughed and laughed and laughed. It was me and Zola and Ellis and Maggie and Amelia and Link. Zola laughed so hard, she peed her pants. So then we had a laugh at that. And then as we were laughing, Bailey started licking the frosting off each finger really slow and making a whole production out of it. And I looked at him watching us laugh, and I realized that that was the point. That was his plan. He wanted to make us all laugh because the baby had been keeping us up all night and the pandemic was all over the news and none of us were having any fun at all. Nobody was laughing. And he wanted to make us laugh. Yeah. Well, the phrase that really stuck out to me in that is, it's okay. Well, maybe I just said it in my head. It's okay to not be okay. So like when somebody tells me they're not okay, I'm okay with it. Like I, I, I think that's why I resonated so much with you saying that I don't need to be rescued from my sadness or melancholy. I think that's true of all of us. It's okay to sit in it. And I think that gives me permission to not feel like I have to fix instantly. You are now listening to the Enneagram Journey Podcast. With your host, the Enneagram Godmother, Suzanne Stabile, and our guest today, Anthony Williams, who shared that he read Meredith Gray was the self-preservation for prototype, and that sealed the deal for him deciding his number. We also could hear a little bit today about uh, how he and Suzanne worked on figuring out his number when they met in Los Angeles a few years ago. Are the people with items still left in their online shopping carts, force fives and nines? What would Suzanne be like on a reality show? And how subtle are the stress and security moves for fours and twos? My name is Joel, and I'll be along for the show as usual. But first, I want to remind you to sign up to join Suzanne and Life in the Trinity Ministry in Little Rock, Arkansas, November 12th and 13th for Relationships in the Enneagram. I'll be driving over from Texas with a car packed full of our newest book, The Journey Toward Wholeness, and Path Between Us Small Group Study Guides. So get your hands on those, sign up at lifeinthetrinityministry.com or you can find a link as well at suzannestabile.com If you need your Enneagram fix but can't wait for November then you're in luck. October 23rd All Things Enneagram a virtual event for your Enneagram journey brought to you by InterVarsity Press and Life in the Trinity Ministry IVP as you know published The Road Back to You The Path Between Us Their Journey Toward Wholeness and this is going to feature all nine authors of the Enneagram Daily Reflection Series. So if you've seen those gorgeous books with the number on the front in gold that are different colors, and it says 40 days on being a one through nine, these are those people. It's an incredible lineup of speakers. The Reverend's going to be a part of it. And you can find out more information and registration at ivypress.com slash allthingsenneagram. Sign up today for 10 bucks. So far, people have registered from Canada, the UK, Finland, Germany, Japan, all 50 of the U.S. states. So don't miss out. October 23rd, All Things Enneagram, an online event. And now, Anthony Williams and Suzanne Stabile. Yeah, I think I 
think we ought to. So let's start right there. Okay. <laughs> um, as a four, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about your struggle between two and four. And to, and to be clear, when you said struggle between two and four, it was in identifying your number, not right, right, some right, sort yes. of balance. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, got it. I feel a little bit better about it now. I think when I first met you was at the Enneagram Stances workshop. And that was my question was that when I was first learning about it all and reading, because uh, when I did the test, I got different numbers and we talked about that. And so the one I kept going back and forth on just mentally was two and four. Uh, and then when you answered, you pretty much said twos care what people think and fours don't. And I was like, oh, okay, well, then I don't really. Uh, and so that's made me think that really the two of me was uh, me in stress uh, in childhood, uh, just trying to be there for my single mom, my grandmother, and, you know, just family in general. And then at school, you know, I was the one that was, you know, creating clubs out of nothing. You know, like we had a Disney Adventures Club, that old magazine, and I just like would bring the magazines to school and like let people like check them out. And I did all that just because I wanted belong. There's a big word. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I'm I'm glad you figured it out. I surely understand as I've gotten to know you better that you're you've had a lot of stress in your life starting in childhood, and, and we can talk about that or not. That's up to you. Sure. But that four to two move when things are stressful is pretty subtle. Like, you know, when a five moves to seven, not not subtle. <laughs> or when a two moves to eight, not subtle. Mm-hmm. But the four two space really kind of is. I Like when I feel like I'm in four insecurity, I wonder, but am I? Because this part of me feels the same, but this is a little different. Mm-hmm. I'm looking inside of me for something instead of outside of me, for example. Yeah. So as we unpack that, so many people ask me if it's possible to be in stress for a long time or for a lot of a long time. Hmm. What would your answer be from your life experience? I would say for a lot of a long time. I think. Yeah. Can you talk to some about what was, you know, we're talking about a vague, oh, you had a stressful childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, grew up with a single mom. Uh, we lived for the bulk of my childhood with her parents. Yeah. My father was a preacher's son. And so when I was born, uh, they, my dad's family still lived in town. Like my mom, they went to that church. The families were close. And the way I feel, you know, necessarily not necessarily the facts, you know, there's dates or whatever, but sure. they kind of moved not long after I was born. Okay. And so then it was a, the relationship I viewed it now as transactional. Like they would call me around Christmas yeah. or birthday and say like, Oh, yeah. what do you want? How are you doing? Uh, and so then I didn't necessarily know how to interact with them or feel about that. And then with my mom, I feel like looking back now. And so it was kind of weird to try to like help her maybe either feel better uh, and then also uh, was recently during the pandemic and everything, I was trying to help her look for work and I'd asked her for her resume and I hadn't never looked at her resume before. Oh. And then looking at it, there was like seven years where she didn't have any work and it just didn't even occur to me. And that was like my childhood. That was, you know, till I was maybe like nine. Yeah. But I just, I remembered there were gaps when she didn't work and I remembered, you know, moments and seasons, but I never looked at it as seven solid years. Uh, so that's where I know for sure I was, trying to either cheer her up or encourage her, or, you know, sing with her, you know, dance, and then help my grandmother, who was really the force with education. She was my first teacher. She was my Head Start teacher. Yeah. Uh, so she was the one that would keep asking me about school and, and classes and friends and the other teachers. Uh, and then my mom was, you know, I, you know, she was my closest friend, you know, and then, but then she was also trying to discipline me, and I think that never really got to a good place. Yeah. I think ever, maybe. <laughs> yeah, parent-child <laughs> but, stuff is... Messy in stress. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's that's where I feel like it kind of remained. Until high school when I was student council, treasurer, I didn't feel like I could be the president, but I can do the treasury yeah. and you know, participate that way. And that way I'm, I belong and I'm cool with these people, but they really don't know me. And then I was also in uh, IB classes, which is like another version of AP. Yeah. So I, you know, I tell people now I get Facebook requests from people who I went to school with. I don't know them because I kind of stayed around. 15 people yeah. all day. And then I knew my friends that I grew up with, but in a class of 400 or so, I didn't know them, but they know me because I was the black kid in IB. I was the smart black kid. 
Wow. Well, um, that's all very four. <laughs> so if we'd had time to unpack that at, at the Stances Workshop in L.A., then we would have, I, I would have gotten us there quicker. <laughs> so um, I want to unpack a little more some of that. Sure. You said over and over in telling that part of your story, I feel, I felt, I feel, I felt. And, you know, in some numbers, I would, I would say, can you tell me what of that was thinking and what of that was feeling? I can really honor that all of that is based on feeling, but it's obvious that you've thought it through because you can articulate it. And I think that's a good example for people to look at in terms of feeling being dominant and thinking supporting feeling and then doing being repressed. Mm-hmm. However, you, you were pretty balanced in all three in your search for belonging. You did a lot. Yes. And that helped a lot. Mm-hmm. When did you know you were gay? Uh, I think like seventh grade. Yeah. Yeah. When did you come out? I came out to a cousin, I think sophomore year in high school. I didn't really come out more than that to like went to college and like transferred. So I went to junior college at home. So I stayed with my mom. So it was 20, 20, 21, 22, around there when I went to move to Dallas. And so then I found a group. And then I came out to my mom and aunts and my my grandfather, my father's father, who I think at the time I kind of felt like he was the closest thing to a pope that I had because he was this like yeah. renowned preacher. And so I think I had come to peace with it myself. Like I just was reading the Bible one day and just for whatever reason was just like, oh, like I'm good. Like I think I'm good. Yeah. And so I went to him and he gave me everything I expected him to say. He recited these scriptures and that scriptures we were at. We're either a Chili's or Papa Doe. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but then and near the end, I, I'm always grateful for this. He said, but you know what? I don't know. You know, and I've read, you know, this study that said maybe this can happen in the womb or maybe this happens here. So, you know, I don't know. So he did not have to do that. He could have stuck to just a scripture. And Seven like, famous fr- scriptures. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah. I don't think it's easy to be a black gay adolescent in Tyler, Texas. I want to be sure you hear me say. There's a real strength in you if you are trying to be a part of things that matter to you and being able to discern where to where to find your way in. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the f- most fascinating things you said to me was that you you knew you couldn't be president or couldn't go for president because uh-huh. you could have been president, mm-hmm. but you knew not to go for that, so you went for treasurer. Yeah. Did you want to be president? I think, sure, yes, because that would have kind of meant, like, the ultimate, like, you are popular and you are, you know, beloved and, like, you can get things done because that's, when you're the treasurer or whatever, you often just kind of look back and be like, why are we in this mess? Like, why did they do this, this, and this? And that really shone through when I went to college and I was at my student paper, and that was the first time where I decided I'm going to go for the top. I went for editor-in-chief yeah, and went through all that stuff, and it was the first time I just kind of really felt like, you know, I can do this. But I remember at the meeting when they announced it and said, Anthony has it, I just had like this reaction internally. But my advisor caught it afterward. He was like, I could see that you were like happy and you like felt good, but you also were just like, I got to do all this shit now. Yeah. Yeah. What changed if you, I mean, I don't remember thoughts or feelings from last week, Mm -hmm. but from high school saying, I want to be president, but I'm going to go for treasure. What changed in your thoughts and feelings then and then going for the editor-in-chief in college? I think I felt more equipped. I guess not just equipped, but more like I could defend my experience and reasoning because it wasn't just that I felt like I was good with people. I had had an internship. And so when I first joined the paper, that was something that I could see like, oh, not everyone has this experience and like I'm good with this and I don't have to worry about this. And that was the first time I felt like I can do this and I don't have to worry about someone else being better than me or like saying you're not good enough. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Yeah. The thing I have to repeat is that's extraordinary balance between feeling supported by thinking and then doing. So that's, that's extraordinary. And it's way over the top for that age. Is part of that balance because you say, you say you have a big five wing. Yes. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And life experience. And a lot of adulting as a child. Yes. 
And now I just think I've come back around to where, I mean, it was always kind of there because I feel like I do less for myself. And so now it just kind of shows up more because I live alone and I've been alone you know, throughout a pandemic. And to get things done and to do routines or whatever is still a struggle. But I can do for my family. I can I can organize the family Zoom. I can do this and that sure. for work. But, you know, can I get that project done that I'm the one that pitched and created? Like, can mm-hmm. I get it done by Friday? Mm, probably not. Well, we haven't talked any about your personal relationships and we don't need to. But I'll tell you what. I'm on the board of the Turtle Creek Corral, which is 250 to 300 gay men. Mm-hmm. And if you lived in Dallas, man, I, I would find the man for you. I'd be all <laughs> over it. And then I would tell him how lucky he is. Uh, well, I, I had no luck here before I moved to L.A. I'll say that. Well, but you I'm didn't sure. know me then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll move you too bad. <laughs> Don't move home. But I'm just saying. <laughs> We've had... Several requests, several emails or comments that have come in saying we wish the podcast had more people from the queer community or the LGBTQ. IA. IA. Plus. Plus. uh, All the things. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about it. We've had several. Yeah. However, we just haven't talked about it. Like that's not, you know, they came on and. We talked about life. We talked about. Yeah. So my question is. My very broad question is, what do you think? I'm curious what people want to hear. You know, it's like, okay, thank goodness they're having someone from the queer community on the Anagram mm-hmm. Journey podcast. What do you think? Why do you think that is? Like what those people that are sending in those emails, now you're here. What do you want to share with them? And I want to say one thing before you start. Yeah. I, I think we are trying to make it clear that we're inviting the whole person to be on our podcast. Mm -hmm. And maybe we were kind of staying back from that because we didn't invite anybody to be on it because they were part of the queer community. Mm -hmm. And so we never wanted it to be, oh, look, we, we have somebody from the queer community today where we are is we get to have Anthony Williams today. Yes. Mm -hmm. The whole person. Mm -hmm. But perhaps we're not speaking with the whole person in an effort to be, sensitive or correct i don't don't know i've got i've got questions about other things i just wanted to address that (laughs) yeah yeah i just wanted to address that i think all of that is possible i think what they may be wanting to hear is what i feel like you all have done good recently you know over the past year everything's been happening uh i can think of conversations with uh morgan harper nichols uh patrice gopo uh and there was the singer, I forget her name, but where they just talked about like George Floyd and things like those things specifically uh, and not necessarily just like having a debate or like this is how I feel about this thing, but just how it made them feel yeah. because that was part of their life. And it wasn't just that, oh, the general feeling of we're going through a pandemic, but also this was happening to me and I had to feel out, you know, what to do about all that. Yep. Yeah. Was the singer Jamie Grace? I think so. Yes. What could you say? about the value of the Enneagram for you as a gay man? Uh, It's almost as good as, well, with any arena, really. I think whether I'm with uh, black people or with queer people, just to remind them that there are at least nine ways of seeing. Yeah. Uh, So uh, I just actually met up with some friends who I'd gotten to know online over the pandemic. I went to New York uh, and met some of them in person. It was one uh, friend's birthday and I went to see some friends and family and I got to meet them. And on one hand, it was interesting because I, I joke with my sister that I, even though I felt like I knew them okay enough and everything was going to be cool, I still got there and was like, oh, y'all are just like regular people. Like uh-huh. just, you're not New Yorkers or whatever. You're just people. Uh, but in talking with them, you know, they, everyone has those moments, whether they know it or not, where they just get into a, a point or the soapbox where they're like, well, this is the way you do it. And this is the way it's supposed to happen. Yeah. You know, you don't know if you if you're trying to date a guy, you have to do this. And it's like, well, that's your thinking and that's how you think. And so maybe you should realize that that person doesn't think that way. And yeah. You need to communicate and all that stuff that happens with uh, queer uh, friends, with black friends, uh, with people trying to talk in between the, the groups. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I feel like I'm in two groups that are a little bit marginalized. Mm-hmm. One I've been in since I was 16, mm-hmm. and that's that I've always struggled with weight. And there's a thing about that, you know, like people, there's a lot of judgment that goes with that. 
and uh, I'm 70, and there's some really low expectations for Joe and me at 74 and 70, outside of the LTM community, but that is perceived to be kind of done. Interesting. And we, we got some real wisdom on board right now, and we're going to share it before yeah. we're done. Please. Yeah. yeah. So I think maybe that we are becoming a culture that in our effort to say, wait, I'm not like you. I'm a black gay man, not just a gay man and not just a black man. Mm -hmm. And I'm a woman who struggles with weight and I'm 70. Mm -hmm. I think we are dividing into smaller and smaller groups, not of people who are just like us, Mm -hmm. but of people who have room for other groups of people. That seems to be my primary group of people right now. If you don't have room for everybody, I don't want to be in relationship with you. Yeah. I'm happy to teach you mm-hmm. why I feel that way, but I'm not, I don't want to have dinner yeah. anymore. It's the old, if you don't have room for everybody, I, I don't have room for you. You, that's yeah. exactly, which yeah. is really bad. That's a, that's a tough spot to be in. But <laughs> <laughs> it's very 2021. Well, it, well it's, <laughs> unfortunately, I've been there a while. <laughs> and I, I don't know where the line is between I'm a man, Mm -hmm. I'm black, I'm gay, I'm a writer, I live in L.A., I long for belonging because I'm a four on the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. I've created belonging for myself for a long time. I am uh, well-loved by Suzanne (laughs) Streel. I am this, I am this. Mm -hmm. How do we hold all that and honor what's different? I think in just holding them as separate parts of a whole. I, I don't know if that's a... Oh, that's interesting. I don't know if that's the best way. I just, I don't always think of it as separate identities. I just know that it's like part of me, you know, in the same way that if someone, uh, Joel has on this uh, Enneagram jersey that's styled like the Dodgers. So that caught my attention and I talked about it. You know, I would bring that up if, you know, I was with someone like, oh, yeah, I'm from L.A., but then I may talk about I'm from Texas. And I just go through those things and just conversation, but I wouldn't necessarily jump out and say, I'm X, Y, Z, I'm from Tyler, Texas, and, you know, I'm, you know, all those things who I voted for, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But I think it comes up when it when it needs to. Uh, uh, My church, uh, when Charleston happened, uh, my church is a small church in L.A., Uh, it's mostly white, but it's, you know, it's as diverse as it can be as, as we're working on it. Uh, and the associate pastor wanted to talk about Charleston and like with like purpose and intentionality and say yeah. this, this, this. But he also said, you know, I know I'm a white man. So I would like, you know, if you want yep. to speak, please come up and speak and say something. And I said, sure, you know, I'll, I'll do it. And so he said his piece and it was very good. you know, saying, you know, uh, we need to be out there in the streets and we need to protest and make sure people know that we stand for this, this, this. And, and everyone right. was on board. And then he invited me up and I said, this is all great. This is wonderful and groovy. Uh, but just know that some of us have been doing this and we're tired. And so I might not be on the streets. So don't look to me and be like, well, Anthony's not doing X, Y, Z. Just because I've been doing it and I'm tired. Uh, I've been protesting since I was in high school. And I don't do it as much anymore because I'm in the season now of just feeling like it's not my time. Like these kids can go out there and do it. That's right. Uh, and being the people who I felt like were kind of just becoming aware that, oh, the KKK is still out there. Like the KKK was on my town square when I was four. Yep. So I've known these people were there. My high, my rival high school was named after Robbie Lee up until last year. And even last year when they were arguing over it, they were, these people were acting like this was the first thing we were hearing about. This was a problem. Like it's been around for 50 years. Yeah. We've always talked about it. Uh, yeah. I, that just comes up if it's meaning to happen or I'll talk about it. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that really answered the question. We, yeah. we lived in a town, yeah. an unnamed town uh, when I was younger. Our first weekend there, there was a KKK rally in the rodeo arena. And I looked at Joe and said, we need to leave. Mm. He said, the bishop sent us here. We <laughs> like, we're not, that's not an option. Yeah. I, I said, what are we going to, what are we going to do? And Joe, you know, Joe, we're going to be the voice that we always try to be and do whatever's the next right thing. And uh, we only lasted 18 months in that appointment, moved our kids again for a lot of reasons, not just that one. Yeah. Any idea that we, we've arrived somewhere? And, you know, that's a, 
that's pretty disturbing to me. So I came to SMU when I was 18, mm-hmm. and uh, there weren't very many black people on campus. I was rooming with a black roommate. And uh, I came in January, so I didn't come at the beginning. You know, I finished high school early and came in January. Mm-hmm. And she was at a sit-in in the president's office for the first few days that we were on campus. And I was trying to get to know her, so I kept taking food <laughs> <laughs> for everybody who was at the sit-in. Here, I, I can't, you know, I don't know what else to do here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now we're talking about Enneagram 2s. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But, and I didn't understand this until later, mm-hmm. much later, that I made the right choice to not sit down, but to support the voices and the faces and the people who were there. Mm-hmm. And I haven't always made the right choice, but I've, I've always known I can't speak for you the way you can speak for you, but I can't speak for you because I'm a woman and you're a man and because I'm straight and because you're gay and because I'm white and because you're black, not just because you're any of those things, right? And I, I, I think we can continue in conversation, we white folks, mm-hmm. to be taught about place. Yeah, I think if there's a good way to get to like the latter what you're saying. And I think that applies in general. Like I have friends, a friend who's pregnant and they're a nine. And so they're dealing now just realizing that they have a kind of tense relationship with their mother and they are trying to figure out how to deal with the boundaries as their mother wants to come and do X, Y, Z. Yep. And then even like in the lead up to it, like her mom's been there uh, just kind of like around and she's very much just like, we're not sure what her number is, but she just kind of like sits there and is like, what do you need me to do? Do you want me to do this, this and this? Yeah. And she's, she's like, well, if I tell you to do it, then that's not you helping. Just like, yeah. just do, just load the dishwasher, do whatever. Yeah. And so I think in every situation, there is a place, you know, if you were at a different college, the black kids may have wanted you to sit down with them, you know, maybe. I, yeah, yeah. So it just, it depends on all those different environments. Uh, well, it was 1969. So who knows? Exactly. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I, 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 when I was in high school, we protested uh, our black principal trying to censor our newspaper. Uh, and that was my intention with it. But not long after it was kind of in the process, I was starting to get congratulations from more of the white teachers at our school. And this was a minority school. There were white teachers, but you know, it was a minority school mostly. Yeah. And, and as they were congratulating me more, I just started to feel a little weird. And then one of the black teachers finally did tell me like, you don't know what this is really about. And then sooner than later, I saw that, Oh, this is an argument like above my head. This is yeah, has not to about do me. Yes. And, but they took advantage of our feelings with the newspaper. Like, Oh, you're censoring us to like attack this principle. And so I think ever since then with protesting, I've always kind of had, you know, I'm hesitant to go out and say what I'm trying to get at because I don't know what is the grand scheme of things. Yep. And that also kind of goes with me. You know, I was a journalist forever. I still consider myself a journalist, but just always trying to sit back and observe and to see what's really going on. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. We are really lucky that we get to do this in person today. And I, I think it was referenced possibly maybe before we hit record. If not, that you're in town for a funeral. Yes. Suzanne teaches all the time about fours and the gifts that they have around grieving Mm -hmm. that naturally, that the rest of us don't just naturally have. Can you talk to that? Talk about your experience this weekend? Yeah, I, that was another very, a great example of like, okay, I'm a four. I think also when I was uh, here once, you said fours can be deliberately inconsolable. And I bust out laughing. I was like, that's just, that's a fact. Uh, but yeah, I think in the lead up to, and this weekend specifically, I just, I am very able to just be present and to just yeah. to feel it. Whether I'm feeling or numb to the feeling, but I'm aware of it, that's to be discussed. Uh, but yeah, uh, I... I was one of only two people to speak at my grandfather's funeral yeah. for whatever reason. Uh, but I think, how about because you're you? Because I'm me. I'll take that. Then uh, I think because of that, that was two or three years ago. People knew that I was going to speak at my grandma's funeral. Yeah. And then I think along with that, they said, "Well, if he's going to say something, then maybe I'm going to say something." So more people spoke this time. Oh, nice. And I was encouraged and happy about that. Uh, but even when I was speaking, I was trying to get across that you know, a lot of people. I think with any, when anytime someone dies, they want to say, oh, they were 
a saint or they were this, this, and this. And then, you know, people also, like you've said, they don't know what to say when they're grieving. Yeah. They'll say, well, I hope they're in heaven. And I'm like, well, I don't know. What's the alternative? Like, yeah, you know, they just, are. Yeah. They're, we're, they're, they're good. Uh, but I was trying to, I wanted people to just take the lesson from it. Like, you know, not that it's always about a lesson, but what can you take from this person's life yep. that you love, that they taught you so much. I know they taught me so much about life and love and, you know, family and just people. Uh, but what can you take from them? Like, not just to say that, oh, they were a perfect person. You know, they went through things. You sure. Know? And I think, uh, yeah, I just tried to get that across. I, I, even, I even told them about, I am, they may think I'm a little woo-woo because, you know, I also will, I'll, I'll read a tarot card or I'll, you know, I've been to a psychic or whatever. And, uh, so I've said, you know, if you think you hear them, don't doubt that. Yep. Like, and you'll say, oh, Anthony, that's crazy. But just know, just sit and be quiet and listen. Yeah. And you'll see what happens. Yeah, my dad talked to my mom a lot. Yeah. I interviewed my grandparents years ago for whatever reason, either hearing about StoryCorps or whatever, and I just knew I wanted to ask them specific questions. That's so smart. Well, I think at a certain point I realized that they were telling me things that they didn't tell other people. Like, I remember I was young. I was oh. maybe 10, where I just, you know, just realized, you know, oh, you know, on so-and-so has an anniversary or whatever. What's y'all's anniversary? And my granny said, oh, we were born in, oh, we were married in 65. I was like, okay. And I said, well, wait, my mom was born in 65 and someone was born in 61. I was like, y'all didn't get married until after? And she was like, yep. It was just a matter of fact. Yep. And I just took it in. And then years later, I said it to like my mom or something. They're like, we did not know that. I was like, yeah. how did you not? Like, they didn't talk to them about a lot of things. So I just tried to press on that. And I, you know, took whatever question I found off the internet and then just like the conversation and just interviewed them and got some surprising things. You know, there's, you know, Sometimes not surprising, but the trauma that I learned about, to me, it made so much sense. Uh, made your life make more sense. Yes. Yeah. And so many other family members were like, oh, if, you know, why did that happen? Or how did that even become a thing? That makes all the sense in the world. You know, my grandfather, I never knew that he graduated high school in Kansas. You know, he was born in Winsboro, Texas. He you know, worked in Dallas. I knew all of Texas stuff. I didn't know he went to high school in Kansas. Yep. And that's because I think he had a tumultuous relationship with his stepmother. And so they sent him away for that. Yeah. And I think in dealing with that, he always felt like a burden. And I think that dictated a lot of how he felt throughout his life because he wanted to control things and not necessarily be a burden. And also when we ever did family stuff, he would like dip in, but not be there all the time, uh -huh. but then want to be there. And then I think that, dictated how some of us feel like burdens in different ways. Sure, sure it does. So, yeah. One of the most interesting things about that is that your grandfather's generation would be my parents' generation. Mm -hmm. And that was referred to, and the generation that followed is the silent generation. And they just didn't talk about anything. They don't tell the stories of their lives. And all of those stories, as you just referenced, mm -hmm. told or untold, affect another generation and another generation. Yeah. So it's fascinating and so good that you knew to ask the questions. And that's the journalist in you, I suppose. Yeah, but then I'm, I'm still surprised because when my grandfather passed, I wanted to pass out his interviews. And then I asked my grandma, well, yours kind of go hand in hand. Do you mind if we put them together? She said, sure. I gave them out to people. And I think I only had conversations about it with maybe three or four people. And I thought it was going to be more of a thing, but so many people either couldn't talk about it or didn't want to talk about it. Uh, even when I talked to my mom, what she was struck about all of it was like, I had some of their like quote unquote love letters, um, but it was just, just, let's just say it was a kind of a mess. And I was like, I don't know if that's how I would look at it, but that's her view on it. Sure. And I was sure. surprised at how a lot of that played out. Yeah. Do you know what your mom's handicap number is? I feel certain she's a five, but Therein lies the conversation because my aunt uh, is, she thinks she's a five. And when she first told me that, and she did this without me even like prodding Suzanne, I remember I came here and I knew, I felt like my aunt's an eight and I think my mom's a five and my, my mom's an unhealthy five and my aunt's like a good eight. And then when she just came out of nowhere, I said, oh, I'm, I'm a five, I'm pretty sure. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And I had to like sit and go back for a while. But then I realized, I was, oh, you're a five and when you're healthy you go to eight there you go and that makes all the sense in the world so yeah i it, the fact that your mom doesn't want information handed out is surely five mm -hmm. ness all that fits mm -hmm. all that fits now speaking of fourness you've been on a game show i <laughs> have your which one <laughs> wheel of fortune how'd you do i did well yeah <laughs> that's cool it was life-changing in what way 
when it happened, uh, it was the year after I'd pretty much been like let go from a job. Like, and I, it was my first Hollywood job when I, and I went out to Hollywood to do creative stuff. Yeah. So that was my first, like I was hitting a peak and I was really happy, but that was also the point when I kind of realized, you know, I'm getting further along to where I want to be. And I kind of still feel the same way kind of inside. And I was like, Oh, is this depression? And so I was kind of encountering um, that and just yeah. started going to therapy. And That's th- so fascinating for a four to ask the question, <laughs> is this depression? Because you know that melancholy is part of life, right? Yes. And so it's like, this feels like it's not that. Yeah. Is that what happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Uh, and so then I was told I wasn't going to be coming back from this job. And so that, that hit me it was like, it was a gut punch. And so then I lived on unemployment for like half the year and just tried to like, you know, go along. Oh, everything's fine. I'm going to uh-huh. figure it out. Everything works out. I'm good like that in general. I have good faith. I like to think. And so then near the second half of the year, unemployment ran out. I was doing job interviews. They weren't going. Uh, I would get to like the last round and then I get the job. And so then I got an executive assistant job, which is what I'd done before. But I was like, I don't want to do this. This is not what I came here for. And it, I was underpaid and the stress was yeah. just crazy. And I had a moment with my aunt where she sent me a devotional one morning. And it was about, you know, I forget, God's will, something like that. And I just said, what if I think it's God's will for me to quit this job? And she said, well, maybe. <laughs> and so I went and just went to quit the job. Double check. Double check. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, I, had, I was like, I didn't come here for this. And things aren't working. And when I first moved to L.A., I gave myself like a couple months. Uh-huh. I was like, if it doesn't seem to work out, if I can't get a job and can't do anything, I'll just move back home. Sure. And, you know, lo and behold, that was seven years before then. So I was like, I've been here seven years I've done X, Y, Z, and now I know I just want to write. I can write anywhere. So if I need to go back home and write, then maybe that's what I'm going to do. And so I just said, well, I'm just going to figure out what can happen by the end of the year. So I quit that job, and that was the whole thing. So I'm Boston, I'm going to quit. And then I uh, uh, took another job, and then the same day I accepted this other job, uh, Wheel of Fortune called me. And I'd been on the list. There's a whole thing about Wheel of Fortune. That's a whole other podcast. Uh, but they called me when I didn't know if they were going to call me then or two years from then. Uh, and they're like, can you do the show this week? And I was like, yes, because yes. I am broke and I'm going to move back I'm to Texas. I'm broke and smart. <laughs> and then the same day that happened, uh, USC called me and I now work at USC. So it was a lot of things that were happening when I thought I was going to have to go back home and not know what was happening. Uh-huh. And I went on Wheel of Fortune and I went in with, you know, I don't know if this is a fourth thing or not, just knowing that at the worst, the wheel can hate me. And I cannot know the puzzles and I will walk out of there with $1,500 because that's the lowest. That's the consolation prize. Yeah. And that's an extra paycheck. And so if that happens, I'm cool and I'll just go home and be like, ah, that's what happened. But I, that did not happen. It was great. And I, it was lucrative. Life- lucrative. <laughs> uh, it was. Yeah, it was a good. It was good. Uh, I kind of felt like it was a little validation even to like I kind of just really in that moment let go and like God. More so than I think in general, where I was just like, not an ultimatum, but just like, if things don't make sense by the end of this year, then I did my best and I'm going to go home and start. I'm not going to keep squandering because I got to the point where I had started, you know, asking my aunt for money or something. I was like, I don't want to like do this in general. Well, I'm glad that happened. Do you still remember the puzzles from your? Yes. What were they? (laughs) Uh, Reading the local newspaper. Uh. Mm, there was a crossword. Uh, uh, jump over it. Uh, rainbow. That was a crossword. And yeah. then uh, Youngstown, Ohio, was the final one that I went on. I know that for sure. Because it was a that was that was a god thing. Because yeah. I've watched Wheel of Fortune my whole life, uh, and I've loved geography and stuff. Yeah. So when I would watch it, and they get to pick the categories at the end, I was like, if they give me on the map, that would just mean it was meant to be, and it's perfect. And I'm gonna pick it. And so when that came up, I was like, on the map. Well, kind of good about it. Didn't know it when it first popped up, but then it came to me and I was like, thank Jesus. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, well, thank, yeah, that's, that's all good. Yeah. But you got a lot of people to think, not just Jesus. You know, I, I think Jesus doesn't get enough credit. And I think <laughs> uh, people who believe in Jesus don't sometimes give themselves enough credit. Yeah. You got to be pretty smart to be on. Like, I, I, Jesus is definitely part of my life, but I don't think I can do Jeopardy. Jesus isn't encouraging that in any way. <laughs> I can just see you up there trying to become friends with the other contestants. Yeah, and yeah. Talking so to happy for you. <laughs> do, do, do you want my my free spin? <laughs> do, I've, I've got it right here. That's pretty much. That's pretty much it. 
Well, that was even part of me too, where I was like, I didn't want to be that person that won everything. I was like, I want everyone to get a little something. So I even went in there. I was like, I just want cash. And like, if the trip comes up, I don't want the trip. And I will like, I'll play along with it, but I don't need to win it. So I was like, oh yeah, good job for you. And then, oh, you got this. I was happy for them. Uh, I wasn't trying to kill it, uh, so to speak. Yeah, I'm I'm not like that. <laughs> You're not giving the trip away. Yeah. I want everything. I don't want to be friends with you people. I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> and had, thus we have sevens and fours and twos. Do you remember when we had our, I don't know, I guess the first computer I can ever remember. Mm-hmm. And we had the huge mega floppy yep. that you had to put in of Wheel of Fortune. Wow. Yep. So... Big floppy disk, put it in. Then you had to type in like the programming. Yeah, code yeah, you had to do it all into MS DOS or whatever. Yes, that's what it was. And play Wheel of Fortune. I yep, dominated that game. MS DOS Wheel of Fortune. Wow. Yeah, maybe you should, you know, and bring that back up. Yeah, please out. apply. I I've only gotten two friends to apply so far, and one made it on, and he won some money. Uh, so please try out. I'm gonna. I'm going to. I'm on a do hot it. streak right now. I've gotten through on the ticket the last three Fridays in a row. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, good. Going in, yeah. Feeling, feeling good. Look about it. Right, the right, the way. What do you want to talk about? Something that just came up. Uh, was talking with a therapist, and because uh, I've been traveling lately, because uh, that just occurred to me. I've been teleworking, and they said you're probably going to telework for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I was like, I can do that anywhere. Yeah. So let me go out and do things, and just kind of like shake it up. Because I I realized when I came home uh, and joined my aunt's bubble last Christmas and stayed for an extended amount of time that that I felt better. And it was just because I think I was around my family Uh because, you know, they were just living their life. It was every day for them. It was because I wasn't not necessarily alone, but I wasn't doing what I would have normally done. I'm kind of fitting in with other people's kind of routines. Uh, And he said, yeah, you know, I think for a long time we've tried to figure out better routines for you. But it seems like when your routines are exploded, you do better. Yep. And I'm trying to figure out, because I know you say we need to like plan. It's not enough to say, oh, it'd be nice to go to the beach today. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to go to the beach at four. Yep. But I think sometimes when I plan things out more, it's like I'm almost thinking out my doing too much and then I don't do it. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out the balance there so I can get more of my stuff done. I can get your stuff done. If my aunt needs so-and-so, uh-huh. or you need me to go do this and that, I'll make sure that's done. But if, you know, just the, the common denominator for me is like sleep too. If I just go to sleep when I say I'm going to go to sleep, that'd be wonderful. But I always make up something else to do. Yep. Okay. Well, that's a lot. Well, let's unpack that. (laughs) You have a big five wing. Yes. And so that might mean that you think appropriately as a four or that you overthink as a four. Mostly overthink. And overthinking is kind of a block for feelings. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a total block for some people Mm. in that triad. So you don't want to, you don't want your wing to dominate what you intuitively do. You want your wing to assist your intuitive way of being in the world. Mm. The, Interesting thing is that fours go to two in stress, which means that no matter even it's obvious that you and your aunt are very close to one another mm-hmm. and that being with her is a comfort space for you, mm-hmm. but it's not home. Yeah. And so there is still some stress with that. You don't have the same space that you're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. You don't have the same privacy that you're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And so you move to two. And what happens when fours move to two with a five, strong five wing, Mm -hmm. is that they're inclined in two to do things for other people. Mm. How can I be helpful? How can I connect with you in your life? Not how we can connect both of our lives while I'm in your bubble. And then your five has to kind of override that and say, I feel like I'd like to go do something today. My aunt really needs some help. I probably should stay here and help her, but I really would like to go do this, and then the day's over. Yep. And so it becomes a matter of priorities being inclusive and not exclusive. Mm-hmm. So as you, four with five wing, are in two, 
you have to plan for you and for the people that you're trying to connect to, for your relationship with them, not on behalf of them. Mm -hmm. And then you have to think about, after you've done that, then you think about how do I arrange my day so that I do for my aunt, I get an appropriate amount of sleep, and I do this thing that I really want to do. But in order to do that, you have to be able to say to yourself, I really matter too. And that's where fours get in trouble. I know it's not a, you know, the Enneagram, it's not a puzzle that just everything fits just like this for everyone. Do you think that fours with a big five wing in general are possibly even more doing your press than a four with a big three wing in average space? They are absolutely more doing repressed on their own behalf. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, it's what I was talking about earlier. It's so interesting that you and I, um, I come to you on your number when I'm feeling secure and you to mine when you're feeling stressed. Mm-hmm. But it's very subtle. That's not so subtle with other numbers. It's not subtle when you, Joel, as a seven, go to one. And it's certainly not subtle when you as a seven go to five. Those are both big moves that are obvious. This two, four thing is so subtle. You said that twice now. Is it subtle to you or are you talking to the rest of the world? Like rest of the world. It's what subtle. About, what about t- for the two of you? Is it subtle for yourself? I don't know if this is a good example, but I think... It is subtle because I can go from, I need a Bluetooth keyboard and that's an idea and that's a thing to put on my list and to go look for it and add it to my cart. Or I can also go, you know, I need a Bluetooth keyboard and that's at 10 a.m. and then at 6 p.m. and I'm still looking at different keyboards and trying yep. to figure out which one I'm going to get. Yep. And that is very complex because it's four with five mm-hmm. trying to evaluate mm-hmm. in two whether or not you uh, have the money for that, whether or not it's okay to spend it on you, whether or not you could do better by doing something for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And you keep measuring, 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 measuring because you believe that you are innately flawed in some way. And that belief, in my experience, for force never goes away. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And you can't think your way as a four into value. Mm-hmm. So the subtle move into two is pretty rewarding. It's not like, oh, I'm so stressed, and then you move to two. It's like it's a subtle way of connecting and belonging that you get from two behavior that feels good enough to kind of hang there. Yeah. And then you create stress by getting to 6 o'clock and not having a Bluetooth keyboard. Is that all fit? Yep. I wonder if all the uh, emails that you, you still got things left in your shopping cart are the fours, fives, and nines. They're not in daddy's shopping cart because he doesn't shop. But <laughs> as a nine, it's like, I, I don't know. If you think we need that, it's okay with me. But I think that's representative of all the things that, you, that fours, fives, and nines don't do because it's for themselves. I bet you don't have things left in your shopping cart online (laughs) no the question would be how many things are in my shopping cart online that are for me and how many are for other people Mm. like i showed up here today with new paper towel holders for both bathrooms (laughs) and i like i'm real happy about it i feel so great i think people are gonna love them she literally said you know this you probably don't care much about this but i'm so excited (laughs) (laughs) so we'll see but but i uh I had the experience of this paper towel holder in a restaurant mm-hmm. restroom. And I thought, man, we need people at the Micah Center would love that. So I ordered them and they came. And Joe said, well, like, do we need one? I said, we don't have paper towels in our bathroom. He said, well, that's right. Do we need a new paper towel holder for here in the kitchen? Because if that would make you happy. <laughs> I said, no, it's good at the Micah Center. I, that's something I would do. I would, you know, I, I look and I observe and I add things. I, I, realize and I'm aware now that like I accept the fact and I'm proud of the fact that I think I'm a good gift giver 
Of course. Uh, but then what I realized, especially when I was in LA, you know, I would just like get things throughout the year, like I, you know, get books or whatever, and I just put them in a box and send them to the family. And then come Christmas, everyone's like, oh my gosh, how did you know, blah, blah. And I'm like happy, but then I'm like, what did I give you? Like, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's that subtle too. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So from two to four, the subtle piece, the example I would give is when I was writing the last book during COVID, mm-hmm. encountering people far too occasionally. Like I was so lonely. Mm-hmm. I'm writing the book and uh, my editor and I are looking at it and working with it. And there would be spaces where it would be far more, cre- far better writing, more creative mm-hmm. than these other spaces. And the truth is that I'm, I, I'm a teacher who writes. I'm not a writer who teaches. Mm-hmm. And I, want to write about the Enneagram because I want people to hear it from my perspective Mm -hmm. because I think it has value. But I I, um, slide into a security space when I get going. If I'm telling a story and then what follows the story is much better writing, Mm -hmm. which is noticeable to the editor. And it's because I move into that security space where I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm writing about, and I'm, I'm good. Like, I know this. I tell people, you know, when they say, well, do you know when you go to one? And I say, most likely or most surely is when I'm writing. Because I just, whether it's because I studied it the most or just because I read all the time when I was little, I know style and I know where someone's supposed to go. Or I know, like, oh, that doesn't flow right. I'm most secure in that. Yeah. Yeah, my writing gets much less bang, one, two, three, and much more palatable mm. i think it's when a, i'm in four it's a good story yeah. well and then i don't know if you ever try to get yourself into one like man i gotta get stuff lined up i need some one energy oh yes and yeah that never really works no it no. never works never ever that's why i'm like i don't know if well this is me you know, arguing like i don't know if routines work because like i can try and set up oh, this is the time i'm gonna write and this is what i'm gonna do that and it almost never works yeah. i have to really be under the gun or something has to happen for me to kind of get into that me too. I, I don't know about routine for writing. I'm trying to just get you to pay your bills on time and take out the trash. I'm good at that. Great. Great. <laughs> I'm trying to get Because there my- are a lot of fours that aren't good at that. The mundane, everyday stuff, oh. that's what I'm trying to get fours to yeah. have a routine for doing. Yes. Yeah. I think I'm good at the general things. It's like the mundane life things. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm a writer in HR like that almost kills me yeah. that sounds super mundane yeah. yeah but it's you know i i makes always, money it makes money and i tell people 90 percent of the job is the people and i love the people yeah so that's what keeps me going but you know if i get caught up in that you know on one day i feel like i'm doing a great positive thing for the place and the next day it's like oh we're just doing this because we're doing it and it's corporate or right. whatever and i'm like oh, that i'm just like so unmotivated and yeah it's a whipping yeah yeah suzanne teaches that about the roller coaster of emotions for fours. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that some? Is that your experience, the whole, you know, yes. within an hour? Yes. Can- yes. Yes. Uh, what's a good example lately? Um, let me shoot the funeral. The funeral that sure. happens. Uh, I was in New York. Uh, part of this kind of travel, too, I was talking to my sister and friends and I realized a lot of my good friends are in, are coupled up. They're married or couples. Yeah. And she was like, you need to go do more like single stuff. Like just go do stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. And in that I was like, I'm trying to manifest who's coming. Not just like, Oh, you know, cause I think a lot of us say like, Oh, if, if something happens, I'm not looking for a relationship, but if someone comes around, I'm here. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, no, like I'm trying to be intentional. Like I would like someone and I would like them to be like this. They don't need to be like, check off all the lists, but yeah. I want this. And what I had been saying was, you know, I am good with people. I'm observant and I'm, you know, I'm proactive and I'm, I'm a motivator, all those things, whatever. And I was like, I want someone like that who will catch me off guard and is like, who's seeing me. And I was just saying that, you know, that had become my manifesto thing. Yeah. So I'm in New York. I'm at this bar in Harlem with uh, one good friend and two new friends and just, you know, just having fun. And so then one of the new friends uh, is texting me later. And so then I'm like, happy to hear from him, but also like, well, what is this? Like, uh, do, you, do you like me? Cause I don't know if like, I don't know if I like you yet and I don't know what's happening. And so then I kind of like fall back on it and then he hits me up again and I'm like, Oh, you're just like, just being funny or whatever. But then he's like very observant and I'm uh-huh. like, and I'm catching that and I'm like, 
what is this? He's like, well, you said you wanted someone observant. And I was like, oh, um, but do I want this? That's the, like, I want this, but then is, if it's happening, do I want this? That push, but I feel like fours and <laughs> for the Zodiac people, like Aquarius or similar, I feel like we're either, I'm good, like, I'm good, and I'm creative, I'm an individual, I'm special, or I'm like, where is my husband, like, where is this romance that I've been promised, you know, where is the one, and I know the one does not exist, but we kind of go back and forth between that. Yep. Inconsistency would drive me insane. (laughs) I want it, but I don't. Uh, uh, Yeah. 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 Joe and Suzanne have said several times that they think that a four and a four together might be like the hardest relationship to work. If you mm-hmm. will, any relationship can work, you know, quick disclaimer, but for a four and four, because of all that back and forth mm-hmm. push and pull that it's hard to sync that up mm-hmm. because you have that in yourself. Does that make it easier though to when other people are that way? Yes. That's why I think it can work, but it's a very volatile flammable situation. Okay. Talk a bit more about that. Cause I'm, I'm a student now <laughs> and I want to hear. I actually, the whole other like serendipitous Jesus thing is I ended up going to Hawaii this year. And that was like someone c- hooked up this trip and asked my pastor, do you know any like queer Christians? And so that was just like, uh, yeah. And do you want to go? I'm like, just sure. I'm staying in this house for free. And it was kind of weird. There was stuff happened, but I met this one guy there. He said he's a four. He knew that. And I was like, oh, so we kind of talked into all that. Yeah. And it was kind of going well. It was a great conversation. And I'm just thinking we're friends. We're friends because I know my romantic side can just jump and create a whole story. Sure. But I'm like, we're friends and we're just meeting and this is cool. But then he's the one that throws out like at one point, like, you know, we did that roller coaster. I was like, what did you why did you bring that up and why that happened? And so then that kind of went up and down and then it went from like friendly to like romantic. And so I feel like I in that situation, I was aware and I was trying to like, you know, steer the boat, like what's happening. And they were the one, I think they were a little, you know, more unhealthy. I think they were in an unhealthy space. There you go. And that was why they were doing it more. And I was trying to get it together. Like, hold on. We're, yeah. We see things similarly. Like, let's, let's get this together. And they were just like, oh, but no, I want to go over here. I want to do this. And, yeah. oh, but no, like, what is our, what's our Myers-Briggs? And I'm like, I don't. I talk Enneagram. I do Enneaspeak. So, um. It's a very interesting conversation that we're in right now mm-hmm. to hear a four who's kind of on an even keel with emotions, Trust dealing it. with a four who's up and down and up and down. Yeah. And I can see, I had really never thought that. <laughs> I always had both of them going up and down. <laughs> up and down. <laughs> so I can see how that would prepare you coming home from Hawaii or wherever mm-hmm. to add, to add to your health as a four. It's like, I, I knew where I stood mm. and I too want a relationship, but I knew I didn't want to jump into that, yeah. but I was able to not play with that. Like that's what I am trying to teach people about when I say you cannot be healthy in your number by deciding that you're going to change something, by clenching your fist and gritting your teeth, you have to self-observe to gain wisdom about yourself to be healthier. And that's the best story I've ever heard. What was good, uh, there was another four in the group that I was staying with, and he was observing me. And I didn't really know him yet, but this is how we broke through because he caught a little bit of the story, and he came to me late that night and he said, what can you do tonight to remind yourself that you're lovable? Uh I was like, oh, I don't know. know. Not a lot. I'm tired. Not a lot. But uh, I'm tired. What's that one television show where it's all the people living in the house? Big Brother? Is that a thing? Yes. Oh, yes. Do they? I don't know a thing. I'm out of the conversation. (laughs) It's, it seems in my mind, I'm like, all right, it's a, it's a show. All these strangers come and live in a house. Mm -hmm. I guess each week. Someone gets voted out of the house. Yes, you nominate people for eviction, and then they have to like try to fight to not get evicted, and then people vote to evict someone. And then after like three months, whoever is the last person, the last two people, they'll vote who did the best of the game, and then that person wins. Now they're up to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. I'm gonna tell you what: you for one bunch. million dollars, <laughs> I could not do that. 
You throw a bunch of fours in, in one house. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> I, I think I could do it. I don't, I, I tell myself now, like, I should not do any of that. And I, I tried out for it when I was younger, and I'm glad I didn't get into any of it. But I'm, I'm still tempted. It's a really interesting <laughs> year. I don't know if this is going to be a site that you can cut out or not. Uh, CBS, after George Floyd, said they were going to increase their diversity. So they said all their reality shows, they're going to do at least 50% uh, black or uh-huh. indigenous people of color. And so they did that. And some of the other shows have been great. It's been really interesting to see that narrative go. With Big Brother, it's about alliances and people like, you know, I'm going to stick with you. So then if anyone comes for us, we'll go after the other ones. So usually alliances are really tricky and they're, you know, calculated. They had 50% people of color. So there was a group of them in the first day that just happened to get into the kitchen. And without even saying anything, they were just like, this is a thing, isn't it? Yes. And, and then they just walked away. And they have killed it. And also what's uh, really interesting is they really don't like each other, but they were like, I want a black person to win because a black person has never won the game. There so, you go. So uh, maybe fours in there would align and we would not like each other, but we would like, I want a four to win. <laughs> I don't know. And I would just say, please vote me out. <laughs> I, need to, I need to go home. <laughs> oh my gosh, I wish mom would be on. Big Brother. <laughs> Uh, oh, we I could be on. We'd be in. A, we could be on together. Now I tell you what, I I can build alliances. Mm-hmm. But but here's what I'd like. I know nothing about this show, <laughs> but and and I'll never watch it unless you're on it. But here's what I would say about the overarching umbrella of what I'm hearing, mm-hmm. and that is that it is easiest to form a group when you're over against a common enemy, yeah. and that works in every aspect of life. Yes. And unfortunately, that's how we've ended up with so many Protestant denominations in the world because mm-hmm. we couldn't get people to cohere. And so we just found an enemy and then we'll cohere because we're not the enemy. Yep. And I, I guess that that would happen in that scenario by people who sounds like they're all saying, how do I get everybody to be over against the person that I'm over against? Yes. And then when they're against you, you're like, well, if everyone hates me, you should keep me because they're not going to come for you. They're going to come for me. So, yeah. Yeah. See, I stuff. would never think that I, again. If everybody hated me, I would say, <laughs> what, what I need me? to go home. <laughs> I, all I want to do is go home. <laughs> the seven-year-old woman just keeps crying. This show. I don't <laughs> she just wants to go home. She Here. never stops crying. We got time for one last question. So I know Suzanne usually likes to, you know, if you could share one thing with the world uh, that you wish they knew about you or about fours or whatever, what would it be? Oh gosh, pressure. Uh, I'm sure I have something. I'm going to try to like scrounge it up. I have one more new one I want to ask. You want me to ask it first? Okay. What are you curious about? Oh, everything. I'm curious about myself. I'm curious about everything. I'm curious about myself. I'm curious about, uh, romance romantic love uh i'm curious about yeah what life can and will look like for me because i've I've reached the point where you know i'm 35 i go home now i love being home but i'm the i'm of my age group i'm the only one that you know is not married doesn't have three kids and all that stuff and i i'm not mad about that but it's just it it hit me like oh well if i wasn't different before i'm different now and do i am i trying to go for that like Or yep. like I think I realized That's I don't need it. That's such a good four question. <laughs> That's a good four question. Am I long while I'm longing for this? Because mm-hmm. there's comfort yeah. in longing. Yeah. Am I creating the scenario that keeps me longing? That's a that's a good piece. Yeah. All right. And now, what do you wish people knew about fours? Uh just that we're trying. We're trying. Uh, that's what comes to mind. You know, just. I think of uh, the woman who wrote the the next right thing. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Emily Freeman. Emily Freeman. Yes. Uh, when she, I think in the book, she writes about like being in Ventura somewhere and like trying to get a cup of coffee and catch the sunrise and all this stuff. And I was like, yes, yes, we're yeah. trying to do like what we think is best or what would be the most perfect or just the most special. Uh, and that plays out in almost every stage or step of our day yeah. in life. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to use language instead of special. I, I think that's a little bit uh, disrespectful. Yeah, I, I sometimes I say you like unique or like you know. I like unique. Unique or like it's mine, my own kind of like. I like when you say what's mine to do. Yeah. I'll say like well, this was that was my story. This was my 
attempt that's my narrative or whatever yeah the other thing i word i'm using for fours that might help you is i think you're looking for texture i think you just don't want slick and flat and predictable and uninteresting and it's it's like i need something that's more textured yes and a little less of what surrounds me Mm -hmm. yeah well anthony williams i love you And I am so glad you're in my life. Thank you for doing this podcast. And just know that I look forward to whatever will be as we journey and you teach me and I try to teach you. Take all that in. I love you too. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Thank you.